0: Welcome to the Animal Welfare Junction. This is your host, Dr. G, and our music is produced and written by Mike Sullivan. Today we have a special guest. We have Ashley Bishop from the podcast Animal Control Report. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you
1: so much for having me.
0: So uh, I'm really excited about having you, and this is part one of a two-part episode. Part two is going to be your co-host, Dan Edinger. How about you tell us about yourself, kind of the path that brought you to where you're
1: at? Sure. Um, It started way, way back when (laughs) Um, (laughs) I started with our local Humane Society at the age of 13 volunteering. And I did everything from kennel tech to adoptions, you name it, I did it. And at the age of 18, um, we had just gotten humane officers through our Humane Society at that time. They got to go out on a call and it was, it was a mess. It was 80 dogs on 80 acres of land. They were trying to catch them. The dogs were basically feral. The owner was living out of her car, the weeds. I kid you not two feet above our heads. It was a complete jungle out there. Um, so after we worked a full shift at the humane society, we all went out and we all had to try to round up as many of the dogs as we could. And that was just kind of my, that was the point where I was like, Nope, I want to go from just doing law enforcement, which was an interest of mine to I want to go into being a humane officer. Um, however, watching the way that they had to operate um, get a veterinarian out on scene. And then they had to have the sheriff's department out with them because they weren't deputized. They weren't working with the sheriff's department. They were just with our local humane society. Um, I decided I wanted to go a different route and I eventually went and got my vet tech degree. So I'm a certified veterinary technician as well. And then I actually I graduated with my vet tech degree in January, applied for the brand new humane officer position um, that they had really pushed forward because of a really nasty case they had in my area. And by July, I was the brand new first and only humane officer in my area. And I've been doing it for 10 years now. (laughs) So, awesome.
0: And where is it that you are based out of?
1: I'm in central Wisconsin. I cover four different jurisdictions. Um, I'm primarily in one city and then they kind of contract me out for the other three.
0: Okay. So being a technician has to be super useful, right? Oh. Because you're going to be able to understand stuff. How has being a technician helped you in in help with some of the
1: cases that you have worked with? Um. It has made being able to observe things a whole lot easier. Um, one story I love to tell is I had a dog that was kicked down a flight of stairs and he was limping. He was whining. He was, um, and this was several days after the incident. Um, he was still exhibiting these symptoms and I charged the person criminally. Weeks go by, and we had a pre trial hearing. And I got called up to give my testimony, and I tell them what I had to say and get cross examined by the defense. And they said, Well, what gives you the authority to say that the animal was in pain? And I looked at her and I said, Well, I am a certified veterinary technician. She looked at the judge and goes, no further questions.
0: (laughs) And that was it.
1: (laughs) Like absolutely no clue. Um, And it actually recently helped me too with a case where I had uh, three dogs that were involved with a domestic situation as well. And um, they had some pretty extensive injuries, but because part of it too, because I couldn't have decent photographs, it's really hard to photograph the sclera of a dog's eye when they're moving. <laughs> right. <laughs> and by yourself. Um, so I didn't have good evidence of that, but because I have my my background, the judge was willing to accept that as testimony and not need the uh, photographs. Excellent.
0: Yeah, because I think that's something that like veterinarians and technicians forget about the, the importance of having both photographs and a good written medical log. Right. Like yeah. not everything. One of the things that I have found the the hardest to photograph is like problems inside of the ear. We'll mm. be examining a dog with like I do I've worked hoarding cases and large scale volume cases. So dogs will have really horrible ear problems and you try to take pictures and you spend 15, 20 pictures and you get nothing. Sure. So the importance of having that written information about how bad things look like. so how yeah (laughs) right yeah exactly like (laughs) things that you cannot capture in a picture right if, if you wanted to so what kind of what kind of cases do you see in your area most frequently
1: um i mean we've had everything from a hoarding case of 54 cats in a single wide mobile home um that one, surprisingly enough, you know, I normally get told by Child Protective Services, oh no, you know, they're they're 13, 14, they know they can help around the house, they can clean, they're not going to eat cat poop, we don't need to remove them, you know, things like that. I had CPS remove a 15-year-old that day. Wow. I, I asked the lady, I'm like, well... I said, how many litter boxes do you have? Oh, I have one and I clean it every day. I said, no ma'am, you have two, (laughs) you have your litter box and your house, right? Um, Your house is a litter box. Oh, it was, it was bad. It was so bad. Um, but yeah, 54 cats in a single wide mobile home. Um, like I said, I've got some of the animal abuse. I, I believe I have Some cockfighting and dogfighting, but nothing I've been able to put my finger on yet. Um, I have my suspicions. I have my certain people I'm watching, but nothing I can do anything with yet. Um, Your general stray animals, um, we do pick up stray cats and dogs for... One of my jurisdictions, three of my jurisdictions, we don't do stray cats anymore. It's a fight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I do see a little bit of everything, you know, I'm up in Wisconsin, so we have extreme temperatures. One, I kid you not, we had 80 degrees on Wednesday and Thursday, it was 40 degrees and Friday it was snowing. So (laughs) jeez.
0: I mean, that's kind of here in Ohio. It was something similar. We had two beautiful days of eighty degrees, and then yesterday it dropped down to fifty, and today it was forty-seven. And yesterday, in my house it was hailing snow. Yeah. So it was. Ju- it's just like ridiculous. So I feel your pain. <laughs> um, and and yeah, like just the the people that don't realize that the temperature is going to change from one day to another. So today you have to protect them from the cold weather, and tomorrow you have to protect them from the heat. Right. So how how are the um, the rules in wisconsin as far as protecting animals from extreme
1: weather are there like awful housing (laughs) they're awful um my local ordinances um i have one that says has to be 75 degrees or warmer and they have to be in the vehicle 30 minutes or more oh wow
0: so they have to be dead pretty much before you can do something.
1: If I want to do anything with a municipal citation now I can use my state statutes um, that say okay if they are imminent danger or they've got um, they should be in ambient temperatures and things like that I can use my state statute so typically if I'm removing an animal that's what I'm doing Um, but those are even very tricky because, um, shelter could be, oh, they have access to under the porch, you know, um, doesn't have to be anything specific. In fact, I, I can, I have a couple areas where livestock could be a thing I deal with. Um, I don't deal with it often, but, you know, even having just a lean to just having tree cover can be considered shelter for them depending on the da that you get right yeah here recently it
0: was passed a law that if you think that an animal is in danger like you have to call the police department you have to call for help first but if you feel that they're in danger you can break a window to get an animal out so is that different than where you're at no
1: you can do that here um I worry that I'd have some people, I have had people standing outside vehicles in jackets, worried that it was too hot in a vehicle for a dog. Um, (laughs) Windows down and everything. Um, I've also had people tell me that the windows were all the way up when it was cold enough. So heat was not a concern they were concerned that the dog wasn't getting air. Like it was going to run out of oxygen because the windows were all the way up. So I worry about those people breaking windows.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, and, and from what I understand, the statute here is like you have to prove that you had enough of a concern. So either right. take a picture, take a video, something. So that because, I mean, I can totally see somebody just being a jerk and saying oh this person left their car the dog in a car and that's not okay i'm just gonna break their window because i can and i'm protected like you kind of have to show to show what what's going on but they don't realize that the
1: tesla has a setting that you can put the tesla on that has it set to a specific temperature for animals like they have an animal setting in the teslas i did not know that yeah (laughs) that's pretty that's pretty good on tesla that's
0: pretty advanced (laughs) on tesla Uh, yeah because one of the concerns that we get into here is like people that will set their auto start and then i'm just going to the store for 10 minutes well they stay in the store for an hour and Mm -hmm. the auto start stopped within like 30 minutes so we do see on occasion like the the overheated animal um but we also see plenty of overheated animals that are just outside, like in the yard, and they just yeah. get left outside for too long, especially older, older dogs and that kind of stuff. So how, um, you were talking about hoarding cases, how do you see mostly like overwhelmed caregiver hoarders, or do you see rescue hoarders, exploiters,
1: a little bit of everything? What are your
0: coolest um, hoarding
1: stories? I don't feel like I've ever seen the exploiter ones. Um, it's usually elderly or somehow mentally challenged um, that in fact going back to the 54 cats that was a woman mm-hmm. who got two cats <laughs> yeah. and never got them fixed and never did anything with them um, and so you know she just in I I got very frustrated on that case because I was told by the captain, um, well, it's her problem. She's got to figure out a way to clean it up and and get rid of them. And I'm like, but she obviously can't,
0: this has been ongoing for
1: years and she can't. Um, and so I had to make the connections and contact multiple jurisdictions and be like, Hey, can you take cats and stuff? Um, We recently, actually going back, it was very nostalgic for me in a way. Um, Our current executive director at our Humane Society, so I work for a police department, but I work very closely with our shelter. And the executive director is somebody I used to work with when I worked at the shelter. We were both, you know, 16 years old starting out there. And her and I got asked to assist on another case of hoarding where um again it w- it was just that overwhelmed elderly gentleman who pretty sure i walked into the house to get a dog and he was just peeing on his floor himself um silly <laughs> 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 reason i can assume his pants were below his knees but um again the weeds were just you know above my head and it, nothing On the property was well cared for. Um, he had said that at one point he thought he had over a hundred cats, but the dogs had eaten them all. Oh wow. We we only found four cats um and plenty of skeletons. But um that seems to be our our big thing over here is more the overwhelmed and just not intentional um but and it's usually pretty extreme too um his what did we take out of there 20 23 dogs again all running loose everywhere not contained at all so that was a another very long day yeah i people always say they reproduce like
0: rabbits people should say reproduce like cats because cats <laughs> just like It's like, (laughs) I mean, just never ending. I actually, I'm working on a case study of somebody that came to me asking for help and neutering some cats. And you kind of get an idea when somebody has a lot of animals, you get your spidey sense up and Mm -hmm. you know that something's up. And she was asking for help neutering 13 male cats. And to me, that sounded awkward or odd, right? Like who needs to neuter 13 cats So I started asking her more questions and more questions and getting her comfortable with me. And then she said, well, because we're just, if we fix the males, then we don't have to worry about them reproducing. And I was like, well, how many females are we talking about? So at the end of asking, she had 96 cats. Oh, so yeah. Right. So I'm like keeping my cool. And I'm just talking to her because the other thing about hoarders, anybody that has been into a hoarding house knows the smell of a hoarding house, and that mm-hmm. smell sticks with you for like two, three days after you're done. Yeah. And people that live in a hoarding house smell like they yes. can leave the house, but the smell comes with them, right? So she did not like she did not smell. She did not emanate that that stench. She looked really clean. She then she was very kind, very nice. And then she's showing me pictures of these cats and these cats look fine. Right. Mm-hmm. So I tell my staff, my staff is like, we need to take the truck there. Right. Cause I have a spay neuter truck. So it's yeah. like, we need to just go to her house and take care of this. So we went to her house and you would not believe how clean that house was really? small house, two bedroom home, 96 cats indoors. Wow. she had them separate males and females separate in different rooms uh she had nine litter boxes her her That's and it? her family yeah oh yeah nine boxes everything gets cleaned every three hours so i mean this woman should run a shelter because yeah house with all these cats are like kept cleaner and better than most shelters and The main reason I'm writing a case study, I mean, first of all, it's to me amazing that somebody would have 96 cats and have a clean house, but she has a support system, right? Mm -hmm. So most hoarders don't have family that are supporting them. And she has a husband and a son that are supporting her. And they're helping with the, the money and the cleaning and everything that has to do with these homes. But the other thing is, is she, is she really able to maintain this long-term or did I catch her at that point before it gets out of hand sure. and it becomes a smelly house, right? So um, following, we, we went to the, her house and we sterilized everybody that was not sterilized. So we sterilized 66 cats Ooh. that day. <laughs> um, yeah, right? <laughs> and uh, so we're like, okay, no more cats, please. Like, this, yeah. is, this is it. Um, so I'm going to, to continue monitoring just to make sure that, that she's doing okay. I mean, I don't want her to fail. I would love for her to keep a clean house forever. None of the cats are sick, by the way. None of the cats are dirty. She has long hair cats that don't have mats. Wow. There's no poop outside. I have two cats. (laughs) I can't keep my two cats. From going in the bathroom outside of their box, right? Right. This woman has ninety-six cats, all of them go in their box. Like, wow, amazing, right?
1: But then you you almost have to wonder, you know, does she have something else, like some OCD, that's contributing to the her success?
0: And and I mean, she cleans houses for a living, so she have that in her sure kind of kind of say you know like that's one of the things that she does but it's really she got it she got into this problem like you mentioned you know you start with two cats so she had a few cats and then all of a sudden she had 20 cats and then she had 30 cats but they were all sterilized because she was getting them a little bit at a time and then her husband brings home several cats from a oh construction God. site <laughs> and they were all pregnant. She got seven pregnant cats. So all of a sudden she went and this was last year, right? So all of a sudden she goes from 35 or so cats to 90 cats. So again, are we, are we seeing somebody that can manage or are we seeing the early stages before becoming an overwhelmed caretaker hoarder that, that is going to have problems? And listening to her story is just kind of sad because she doesn't want to get rid of any other cats. So she's an overwhelmed caretaker, but she's also a rescue hoarder because mm-hmm. she feels that she's the best person for it. But in her, in her lifetime, she has had so many negative experiences with people hurting animals that mm-hmm. she's afraid that she's going to adopt the cat out. And then, you know, somebody's going to hurt the cat or, or kill it, or even not just give it affection. Um, so so yeah, it's
1: a really interesting overall story. Now imagine if I mean there's a veterinarian shortage and mm-hmm. our clinics are backed up months. I've got a dangerous dog that isn't gonna get spayed until August. Mm-hmm. She's supposed to be spayed by the end of or by the middle of next month. Um so imagine if she didn't find you in your clinic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, exactly. Because she,
0: none of the cats that we spayed were pregnant, right? oh, which I was really surprised because it was March. So it was the beginning of kitten season here. So nobody was pregnant and she had the intact females separated from the intact males. Okay. However, she had at least one female that she had sexed wrong. Oh. In the room with the boys. <laughs> so that right there would have started the whole cycle again. And I mean, I was really surprised 96 cats and she only missed sex, one adult and a couple of babies, the brand new babies, like eight weeks old. So, okay. and she knew, na- she knew names. Most of the hoarders that I, that I meet, they have no idea who's who. Um, she, she knew their ages, like all the ages that she gave us matched like their teeth perfectly so it was just pretty oh. amazing and I, and I think that it's because she has a support structure as opposed to most hoarders their family just abandons them because they can't deal with the animals they can't deal with the smell they can't deal with all the right
1: all the junk that they carry right so i can so only yeah. imagine oh. how much money she was spending on food and litter mm-hmm. And I would assume cleaning supplies because I'm sure that those males, they, I mean, they had to have been spraying.
0: I know she said that they were not spraying. She said that occasionally they were having some accidents because they were boys. So I mean, I suppose spraying, but yeah, not not really anything that was that was significant. Huh. Um, but yeah, she they spend more money on the cats that they spend on themselves. And they find themselves sometimes having to go out and search for places for food, sure. like food banks and stuff, because they want to make sure the cats are taken care of. Sure. So, yeah, it was a, it was a really interesting story because the other, the other thing is, I don't know if you guys, it doesn't sound like you have a number of animal maximum allowed.
1: It's, we do. Do, we do. you Okay. It's what two, is your? Two cat, or I'm sorry, two dogs and, and, or three cats depending on my jurisdiction so that's my main jurisdiction and then it varies anywhere from two animals total to in one of my areas it's three dogs four cats okay.
0: so how would that then work out with like you said the one lady that the chief is like she
1: has to figure it out like isn't it <laughs> then
0: the <laughs> department's job to figure it out for her yeah
1: well, and I I made it my job to figure it out for her. Um, that department is particularly hands off on a lot of things, um, but it, for the most part, I will try to work with people in encouraging them to do, you know, surrenders or find other friends or family that want to take on more animals or an animal and adopt it out themselves. Um, So I, I'm trying to think if in my 10 years, if I've ever had to force somebody, I can't remember a time where I've actually had to force somebody short of these extreme ones. And she ended up, um, lady with my 54 cats, she was going to try to keep two of them And I was going to make it a stipulation that if she kept two, they were going to be the same sex and they were going to be fixed before they were able to stay back at her house. Um, But then at the very last minute, she signed everybody over to me. Hmm. Um, I'm not lucky enough to get that to work all the time. I There's very extreme differences between how I handle our animal stuff versus like how our County handles our animal stuff. Um, the County will, so I did the agency assist for those 25 dogs. They sat for months. So I guess he actually could have been a rescuer because they were always strays that he found and, and he just couldn't give up. Um, he wouldn't surrender them at all. And the county would leave them, sit at the shelter. It was incredibly frustrating for the shelter because they can't do anything with them. Mm -hmm. They're just taking up space. Um, And it took several months to get custody of those dogs for the shelter versus I had three dogs I took on a search warrant. And I immediately the next week started the process of petitioning the court for custody of the dogs giving the opportunity to the owners to surrender them, which they weren't going to because they were um, breeding them uh, doodles of any sort. It didn't matter. (laughs) Um, But so I, I get working on it right away in a lot of it is a, it costs my jurisdiction a lot of money just to pay the shelter for having cared for them for me. But then I don't have to worry about these animals just sitting there in kennels when they could be adopted, you know, and get out and in, into homes as long as they're healthy and, uh, you know, everything that way. So it's very different and it's interesting up here because we don't have, and it's one thing I really want to work on. I just, it's, it's a very time consuming and just haven't had the time <laughs> with my own family and stuff to do it is we don't have a, like a state humane organization for humane officers. Um, And so I'm finding out that every jurisdiction is treating their humane officers and their animal cases incredibly different. I found out the other day, one of our humane officers just to the County next to me is running out of her own vehicle. She doesn't have a uniform. She had to buy her own um, bulletproof vest and that she's working for their sheriff's department. Wow. And she's not the only one I know of in the state that is under those guidelines. And then you have me who I've got a bulletproof vest. It's questionable, but I have one, (laughs) Um, you know, I have a full uniform, I have a badge, I have a baton and pepper spray, and I have direct access to our dispatch and all the other officers in my area. Um, So it's very different in how things can get run up here and how bringing it back, like I will just say, hey, work on finding a home for these extra animals, figure out who you can't keep contact the Humane Society, contact rescues, whatever you got to do. Versus I know some areas would just go in and be like, nope, you can't have them. I'm taking them.
0: I mean, I guess we're a little bit lucky in Ohio that most places tend to seem to have some support, but I know that more, a lot of places, especially rural areas do not have a lot of support. Now, one thing that Ohio has is the ability to assign an animal uh, special animal prosecutor to cases. Is that something that,
1: uh, doesn't exist where you're at? I take it specifically my County. No, for a while there I did, but we're seeing a lot of turnaround in our, um, DA's office. I don't know if it's that they're coming in to start their career and then they, you know, go off and do something else. Um, I have not had an animal prosecutor, specifically for years. So I have to, essentially, I have to retrain everybody for a new case. And I say that I train them because nine times out of 10, they haven't ever opened up our animal laws.
0: Yeah, I had, I mean, I had one case of bestiality that I was telling the people that I was working with that that was illegal. (laughs) <laughs> and they were like, "Oh, no, it's not illegal." because sadly enough, it was legal up to just a few years ago in Ohio. <sighs> so uh, it became illegal. And apparently, the memo didn't go out to everybody, right? so yeah. so yeah, so it's so important to have somebody that that deals with animals. we We're really lucky that there is a, a law office here in Ohio that deals with animal cases. And the law allows them to go outside of their county, right? So they can go in any county and replace the local prosecutor for animal-related mm-hmm. cases. So it's super helpful because they are so good, so smart, so knowledgeable. You don't have to explain to them what the law is. They actually explain to me what the law is, right? Nice. And it's really it's really nice and easy to work with. I, I worked with a starvation case where the prosecutor didn't really care about prosecuting the starvation case because he already had some other charges against the people. So they were like, well, we already have enough charges. We don't care about this dog charge. Yep. But that dog charge would have potentially been a felony. Mm-hmm. And these are people with children. So, I mean, there are so many ramifications of going after these people for they literally starved the dog to death in the basement on purpose. Yep, And there's there's proof. Like are you sure you're it. not?
1: Are you sure you're not in Wisconsin? Because I have an like exact
0: same case. Yeah. Well, and you know, I have learned over time that what I have to improve in my reports and my evaluations to help the prosecutors want to have a conviction. So in that case, I had the University of Florida do entomology report on the bugs that were recovered from the body. I had Michigan State University do a bone uh, bone marrow fat analysis to determine that the dog was starved. I did a CT scan x-rays. I examined did a full necropsy on the dog. I mean, that case was like almost like human forensics examined Mm -hmm. and we had everything. And the prosecutor didn't not believe that there was abuse. They just literally didn't want, didn't care to pursue it just because they didn't need it. Right. So that was really, really upsetting. Whereas having an animal prosecutor it has been a game changer uh for me. You know, as long as I write a, a good report and I have something productive to to show, then they're
1: very willing to to move forward with it. Solely out of curiosity, what was do you remember what the uh bone marrow fat was in that dog? The one was 14, I believe. Okay, which was like
0: ridiculously low. I, I had did two, two starvation. Yeah, yes, Jesus. And then yeah, prosecute. I, geez. See, and I had I had two that I submitted. That one was about 14. The other one was 30 something, 36, I believe. And the difference was the one with 36 also had no access to water. Mm. So I think that dog clearly died of dehydration sure. before it died of starvation. But the other dog had access to water. I think that dog literally lived its 30 days of no food. Until they just literally starved to death. And it's, I think that, you know, prosecutors that are not interested in animal welfare don't understand the ramifications of it because they don't understand that these people didn't care about that life in their basement to the point of letting it starve to death. They don't care about anybody else. They don't care about the kids. They don't care about anything. And there was domestic violence in that household. So, I mean, and that's all the link,
1: right? Exactly. And I'm, I'm a huge proponent for the link. And, um, because I've had that case, um, again, I also had kids in the house. They showed me the food that was inside the house, even though the dog was, you know, in a common area in a hallway. Um, she also had parvo and mange, um, which correct me if I'm wrong. It's normal body or normal fat content should be 80% in bone marrow. It's actually, I believe 54 is the minimum. Okay. I
0: I don't know. That's
1: what the Michigan state range is. Okay. I was told that now, I mean, my case is this case is, is five, six, seven years old. Um, but I'm pretty sure I was originally told I like the ideal would be 80%. Um, but what i've actually started doing because i don't get the prosecutions and i don't get them taken in and charges dealt out the way that i want them to is when i have these little bit bigger cases and again my department is finicky on how much and where they're willing to spend their money i have been working a lot with the ASPCA and their forensic team nice. because my thought is is if i can work with an national organization and i can get a national organization backing me on enough of these cases maybe my da's office will finally look at it and go oh this big name is willing like to take this case maybe i should too plus the aspca has a legal team that they are willing to have contact the prosecuting attorneys and work with them on their laws and how to prosecute it and things like that. So I, um, in the last two years or so, I think I've had five or six cases. I'm like on a first name basis with their forensic vet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good friend to have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because yeah, it's been the one case I just texted her. I'm like, all right, is this one even worth the one that wasn't even my case? Cause we had puppies in garbage bags that were sitting out in the sun. So of course they were all bloated and it was bad. And she's like, well, that one's going to be really hard to determine a lot of information from. So it was nice to be able to just quick text her, and have her tell me that, but I'm hoping that working with a national organization will bring some awareness to the severity of it. I every new officer, they usually get a couple hours with me for training purposes. I emphasize the link and the fact that 70% of domestic violence has an animal component to it. If there's an animal in the home um, and vice versa. So. I've been trying to get our new officers to understand that as well, because there's been a lot of times where we actually got to tack on extra charges. Guy stabbed his boyfriend in the chest. He was high on meth. And when our um, domestic violence team went in a couple days later to do an interview, she looked at the dog and the dog was limping. And she goes, hey, do you know what's up with the dog? And he's like, oh, yeah, that night, you know, my boyfriend kicked the dog. Well, she added on a charge for that. Yeah. It wasn't anything severe. And, you know, the dog was just sore, but that's an extra charge. Yeah. Is there,
0: Ohio recently passed, within the last couple of years, passed a mandatory reporting law. Is there something like
1: that in Wisconsin? Yes. I'm not... I'm not a hundred percent sure if it pertains to our veterinarians. Um, and honestly, if it does, I know I'm going to have to probably educate them because many times I call and say, Hey, I need medical records for this animal or I need rabies information. And they're like, um, I don't know if I can give you that. No, you can give me that. <laughs> right. Yeah. <there's laughs> no for animals. Yes. And I've had them say that I'm like, guys, really? <laughs>
0: there's yeah that's not a thing (laughs) yeah there's no
1: HIPAA law there's confidentiality
0: of information for the clients like personal information for the clients but there's no HIPAA law for the animals Yeah.
1: yeah so um but i actually recently a couple of different times that's been brought up and i i don't know if wisconsin pertains to veterinarians i know our vets in the area do contact me if they've got concerns so I think some of them that's, just
0: don't care. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, yeah, that's really good because one of the one of the issues, and I would I went in to testify as a proponent of the law passing, because I have seen veterinarians that have witnessed incidents where it was definitely animal abuse, or the animal was injured, and then the person mentioned that they were being abused, and the veterinarian didn't want to get involved. Mm. And mm-hmm. they didn't want to get involved because they didn't want to be wrong. They didn't want to get somebody in trouble. They were afraid of what was going to happen to them and all of these things. And in and in my mind, it's like, okay, well, if you're not saying something and you're just sending this person back to an abuser, whatever happens to them, yeah, you're not the person hurting them, but you didn't do anything to stop it, right? Yep. So to me, that mandatory law was really important because it eliminates the I don't want to get involved. Now you have to get involved because if Mm -hmm. you don't get involved, then there's going to be a fine. There's going to be a penalty. There's going to be something. And then it also gives you protections for if you're wrong, but you did it in good faith. Because I mean, we have seen cases that we think, oh, this person not taking care of their animal. And then the animal control officer goes to the house to do a well check and everything's fine, or there's something, you know, some reason to explain it. So they cannot come after me and say, oh, well, you call the animal control officer on us, it's slander or whatever. No, it was in good faith. Right. Right. And it is, it is so important. One of the, one of the biggest concerns that I have heard from animal control officers that I've been dealing with lately is that they can't get their veterinarians to get involved in cases write write letters write reports or they will write a report but it's kind of flimsy right mm, so it's yep. very it's very like well we couldn't really tell this or that or the other and it's just they they don't want to say anything that's going to make them have to go testify in court right so um but that is just so important to be able to to take care of it um so being, being a technician, clearly that helps you with being able to identify things. Do you, do you have veterinarians? You said that you had, that the veterinarians will call and make reports. Do you have some go-to veterinarians that are useful and will help with writing reports or consultations or even going to
1: court, or do you meet a lot of resistance? I haven't actually had to have any of them go to court yet. Mm -hmm. Um, and, again that kind of still comes back to me reaching out to the aspca i have a couple of vets that i think would uh be willing to go to court problem is is the majority of the time they're not the ones that are available at the time i would need them (laughs) to observe so they'd be going based off of somebody else's report um but and even with the aspca if i can't get the animal down to specifically their forensic offices in Florida. If I can't get the animal there because it's still alive or something, they'll walk the vets here through what needs to be done um, and they'll contact them directly. And then ASPCA writes the report, the medical report. So if anybody has to testify, they would do it. And that's just the last couple of years how I've been doing it. I've had a couple of instances where we had one uh, drug deal gone bad that a dog got shot in Um, and we have an emergency clinic up here and actually my, the officers, they're like, nope, you're, your vehicle, you're not in your vehicle coming here yet. We're on our way and they just ran the dog to the emergency clinic and I met them there. And of course the clinic was incredibly busy that day. So, um, while we were waiting for owner to figure out what she wanted to do with the dog, he, I mean, he was decompensating pretty quickly, but, um, I stood by and, you know, I was taking his vitals freeing up. That's actually another thing where it's been nice to have my CBT because the rest of the vet staff was able to do what they need to do for regular clinic time. And I could monitor, I'm sticking with the evidence and I'm actually doing the TPRs and everything that needed to be done until they figured out what we were going to do with the dog. Um, so that has been beneficial, but I've also recently been met with some resistance. I had a cat that We really weren't sure if she had been intentionally harmed or maybe hit by a car. It was a very weird situation where, you know, I picked her up. She had very neurologic signs. She was doing that, that meow, you know, the meow. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So I have her in a towel, I put her in a carrier, I get out to the clinic and I get the carrier and now she's sitting upright. And I'm like, I don't I don't understand because I expected you to be dead by now, <laughs> you know? Um, and that one, the clinic would not let me in back. It, they take all the animals in back. And I was like, but guys, this, number one, this cat may be considered evidence of a crime. Number two, you know, I am a CVT. And number three, I'm law enforcement, you know? Right. Um, but they absolutely would not allow me in back with the cat. Huh. So I find that it definitely depends on the clinic. It depends on who's working at the time.
0: Yeah. That's what, I mean, I, I guess from, from my standpoint, I've always been very animal welfare oriented, so kind of let's get everybody together to get mm-hmm. things figured out. But again, I've worked with veterinarians that don't want to deal with it. Like you mentioned that they don't want to release information mm-hmm. because of whatever confidentiality may be and it becomes a problem. Now, on the on the other side of it, so we've been talking about kind of like the, the people that are harming animals. A lot of people think that animal control officers, all they do is bang (laughs) on doors and take animals away and pick up dogs in the street. But my relationship with ACOs have been also on the side of well checks. Mm So do you do a lot of well checks and can you tell me a case, a well check that has been, I don't know, significant or that stands out for
1: you? I do plenty of well checks um, and I encourage education before removing an animal. Um, I, I get that a lot. I'll even have people who um, have a stray dog and I bring this stray dog back home to them. And they're like, oh, you're not going to take my dog away next if he gets out again, are you? And I'm like, no, I, I, that is like, it's it's actually one of my pet peeves because people are thinking that. I'm killing everything, and yeah, am I involved with euthanizing some animals? You know, especially dangerous animals. Yes, I am, um, but that is not my goal. That is not my plan. Um, I gotta say that a majority of my welfare checks—I I, want to say seventy-five percent or more of them—are actually um, people over-exaggerating. Mm-hmm um i have to have a lot of conversations with people of this might not be how you or i might keep our animals whether it be tied up outside or not getting walked every day or or things like that might not be how you or i would do it but that doesn't mean that it's illegal and it doesn't mean that it's harmful to the animal either and i, I would say that that's probably more of what i get I have used welfare checks on animals though, to help other areas of my department where we know that, you know, we've got some potential drug abusers. We've got some concerns for the kids and things like that. I sometimes have a better way of weaseling my way in on the animal side of it. And I do wear a body cam. And so I can get into those areas and not only do welfare checks on the animals but the other people in the household. I can't think of any one in, in particular right off the top of my head, but I have done that on several occasions.
0: Yeah, we had a you know, we had somebody kind of like how you mentioned that some people do it maliciously or not knowing or whatever. We had a lady that that we we were presented with a dog with a broken leg and then somebody called to say that the owner is an elderly lady and the caretaker is abusive and the caretaker broke the puppy's leg so um, thankfully it was in my county where I had a really great relationship with the ACO so I called him in and I explained to him what was going on and I told him that the what the lady was saying about how the dog's leg was fractured did not fit (laughs) with the type of fracture, right? The story that the caretaker said actually did fit with the type of fracture. So he went over to her house and he sat down with the lady and the caretaker and he's a really nice, sweet man. So, I mean, he knocks on the door and he's like, hey, I'm just here because the vet was concerned about the puppy and wanted to make sure that you're okay, that you're going to be able to take the puppy back after surgery, you know, like that kind of stuff. And they were so happy that he was there. Yeah, because he was he was so nice and he was kind and he cared about the dog and he cared about them. And he was able to go in there and evaluate this elderly lady to make sure that she was not being abused. Right. Yep. Because to me, yeah, I care about the dog, but I care about the people as well. So I want to make sure that there's not some older lady getting beaten up by her aid and nobody right. knows about it. So, you know, it was it was just a,
1: a really good overall experience. Yeah. Yeah. and those are fantastic it makes me think about the other side of that Mm -hmm. (laughs) where you get the people that are i don't abuse my animal and why are you here and my neighbors need to mind their own damn business and and they go off and and i tend to take a step back and i look at them and i said hey listen i can only do my job if things are brought to my attention now right today You, you're right. I have no concerns for your animal. I'm glad your animal's being taken care of appropriately. But this person that did call it in, called in something that they thought was wrong. If they stop doing that, I'm going to stop finding out about ones where something is wrong. And in trying to get them to realize like, yes, it's frustrating for you, but really these are the people, I, I can't do anything if I don't know about it.
0: Right. No, so. exactly. No, exactly. I mean, I had, I, I worked at a hospital. So a lot of the calls that we were making were from animals that we were seeing at the hospital. And more than one time, somebody came in and just started yelling at us, saying, You called the cops on me. It's like, No, I didn't call the cops on you. Yeah. I called the animal <laughs> control officer to do a well check to make sure your pet was okay. Yeah. And you're here. Here you are taking care of your pet. So I guess it worked. Right. Like they were mad, but they were they were coming back to do whatever it was that the pet needed. So I mean, clearly, yeah. Clearly it works. The system broken as it may be, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> sometimes it works, right?
1: Yeah. It's I mean, I feel like people everywhere find reasons to be angry one way or another whether they're doing something good or doing something bad. People tend to find reasons to be angry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, this has been, this has been awesome
0: chatting with you. So is there anything that you want to say as far as, you know, ACOs in general or any, any
1: last comments? Um, my only thing would be, you know what, we all have a hard job, um, whether it be the vets in the clinic or ACOs out on the road and, um, Everybody needs to take care of themselves, find somebody to talk to, and I'll just put it out there. You know, Dan and I have our podcast, the animal control report, and you can find us on Facebook. And if you need to talk, you want to talk stories, whatever, reach out to Dan and I, because this is a fairly lonely career. I'm the only one in my jurisdiction. I've got sheriffs, deputies who take animal control stuff, but you know, we don't, we don't connect as well. I don't have a full department. So um, find somebody that you can connect with. And if you need somebody, it's us. We're here and stick together and do what we can for those that don't have a voice.
0: People should definitely listen to your podcast because it's amazing. I mean, of all the animal podcasts that I've listened to, I've listened to way more episodes of you guys like both of you have such a great it's just a great combination thank you so i really enjoy it and your guests are amazing so people definitely should should check it out thank you so much for for being here and to all our listeners thanks for listening and thanks for caring